Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we pick up today the beginning, the outset of Paul's first missionary journey. 13.1, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they let them go. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to learn what you have to say to us about letting our people go, letting the members, the personnel of your church go and minister elsewhere according to the calling of your spirit. Father, we thank you that you rule your church, that you rule her by teaching her, and that you rule your church by taking her teachers and sending them elsewhere to teach and to bring new people in. Lord, help us to hear this word and to rejoice in it, knowing that this is the blessing and the glory of your church. Help me to speak boldly and accurately, to build up your saints, and to encourage your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage is fascinating because it is one of the very, very few passages in Scripture that talks about sending out missionaries. How do you know who is supposed to be a missionary? Well, Luke tells us that you'll know when the Holy Spirit tells you. Not a very satisfying answer to us in some respects. We would prefer a checklist, and Paul does give a checklist in 1 Timothy and Titus. But we would like more detailed steps. Luke is not interested in that. Luke tells us that the church listens to the Spirit. The church gathers, the church listens, and the church lets go. And that's an interesting mistranslation. We'll get there at the end of verse 3. Every English version says they sent them away. That is not what Luke wrote. Luke says they let them go. It's a passive thing. Not, okay, Barnabas and Saul, get out there to Cyprus and minister to these people. But you're leaving? You're really leaving? You're sure the Spirit is telling you to go? Okay, you can go. So they listen, they commission, they let go. What we'll see is that Christ reigns over the church by teaching the church and by separating from the church it's best and brightest to go and minister in new places, new fields, elsewhere. So Luke starts by telling us that in the Antioch church, there were prophets and teachers. Now we've seen this before in Acts. What he means is that there were people there who could give new revelation from God. They didn't have the written New Testament at this point. They needed authoritative proclamation about the life and ministry of Jesus. They didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have the Epistles. And so prophets filled that gap in that time and said, 
Here's the teaching of Jesus. Here's what the church needs to know. And also in the church were teachers. People who didn't receive direct inspiration from God, but rather had to go and do research and homework and then present their findings in the form of teaching. So, prophets and teachers in the church today, yes, they still exist after a fashion. But certainly, if you look at the literary products of the church, you will find that nothing remotely comparable to the book of Micah or the book of Isaiah or the book of Psalms is being written today. That's because the gift of prophecy has ceased. We don't have prophets like Hosea and Jeremiah at large in the church today. Rather, the gift of prophecy and teaching as they exist today are parallel to each other. Teachers can be wrong. In fact, as we know, teachers of the church are more likely to be wrong than the average church member is. And so it is with those in the church today who would call themselves prophets. There are certain people to whom God can and does reveal certain facts for, that are helpful for conversion. We've talked about this before. Spurgeon was preaching one day, and he stops in his sermon and says, there's a lady here who's here because she forgot her gloves. And you're here, my friend, to hear the gospel, something like that. And she, sure enough, there was a woman who had left her house to go to church and got down the road and realized she didn't have her gloves. Her church was a fashionable church. She didn't dare go in without her gloves. She was walking by the Metropolitan Tabernacle, so she walked in there. And she heard Spurgeon say, there's a woman here who's here because she forgot her gloves, and she was converted. That's the gift of prophecy as it exists today. A factoid or two that God can and does at times reveal to his saints for the purpose of evangelism. So if somebody says to you, I'm a Christian teacher, you say, okay, I feel free to check up on whatever it is you try to tell me. And if somebody says to you, I'm a Christian prophet, you say, okay, I'm free to check up on whatever it is you try to tell me. Christian teachers can be wrong. And Christian prophets can be wrong. You find out whether a teacher is telling the truth by looking in the Bible. You find out whether a prophet is telling the truth by asking the person he's prophesying about. That's the nature of prophecy as it is today. The prophecy that produced the book of Daniel, the prophecy that produced the book of Obadiah, that no longer exists in the church. That prophecy was at work in the church at Antioch. Anyway, there are prophets and teacher check purported facts with the person they're supposedly about, check teachings against Scripture. That's what Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul did in the church in Antioch. They taught, they prophesied, and those who heard them checked up on the teaching. So, what is their place? Well, Luke tells us in the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. We say, well, Luke, of course they were in the church. You're not going to tell us about people who were outside of the church. But Luke doesn't mean in as opposed to out. He means in as opposed to over. 
not ruling over the church in Antioch or the Antioch Five, these prophets and teachers. No, they were in the church. These five are just as much part of the church as anybody else. They are members in the church, not rulers over the church. Why does Luke say that? Why does he make sure to tell us that they were in and not over? Well, the answer is that teachers tend to exalt themselves to be over the church. I've been a pastor for 5.83 years. I looked it up. What is that? Five years and ten months. 5.83 years. That means that I was out there in the pew for over 80% of my life. But when you sit out there in the pew and you look up front and you see one person up front and everybody else in the pew, you think that guy up front is the important one. Luke is saying, no. These five are replaceable. These five are not over the church. They don't boss the church. They're not the head of the church. There's one head of the church. He's not replaceable. Prophets and teachers come. Prophets and teachers go. So when we teachers forget that we are in the church as one of the body, that's when problems start. The teacher who says, I'm over the church, they all do what I tell them, or else, that's when that teacher has become a wolf, a tyrant, a usurper. And this, by the way, is one of the problems with our friends in the Roman Catholic Church. This is what Protestants are protesting. We obviously disagree with Rome on certain points of doctrine, but we don't protest the fact that they have doctrinal opinions. That's not something to protest. We're free to argue with them about that, but we don't protest that. What we protest is the Pope's tyranny over the church. We could pick at the Vatican. That's what Protestants do, figuratively speaking. We protest and say, wolf. Wolf, Wolf, says he's head of the church. Says that he's over the church rather than in the church. And of course the Roman church goes a step further than that and tells us that the church is the clergy. The faithful are nice. The faithful are not necessary. The church is the bishops. And the priests along with them. Now, to that, Luke says, no. In the church at Antioch are prophets and teachers. Not, the church at Antioch consisted of the following five bishops, and around them had gathered a group of the faithful. So along with that, our friends in the Roman church make a distinction between the teaching church and the listening church. Teaching church being the bishops who instruct the faithful, and then the faithful being the listening church who sit, stand, kneel in various orders and take it. That distinction is utterly foreign to the Bible or, of course, to the experience of any teacher in the church. Where do you think I get my material? It's not that I'm somehow the teaching church and you are the listening church and I just get it out of my own head. No, I'm the listening church I listen to the Word of God, to the commentators, to the philosophers, the teachers, the theologians that Christ has given to the church. 
Those who teach in the church are also the listening church. Or else, what they're teaching is gobbledygook that they pulled out of you know where. That's why Luke says, in the church were prophets and teachers. Or as Paul would tell us, the church both teaches and listens through the appropriate organs in the body. The mouth does not rule the body. Nor does the ear rule the body. The church as a whole teaches through the appropriate organ, which is the one called to be a teacher in the church. The church as a whole listens through the appropriate organ. All of us are called to have ears to hear. And so the teaching church and the listening church are the same church, which is what Luke is saying when he says, in the church at Antioch were teachers. You want to find teachers? They're not over the church. They're not bossing the church. They aren't the church. They are part of the church. Teachers aren't the brains of the church or the heads of the church. Jesus is our head. Jesus is our brain. Jesus is our boss, the one who makes the decisions. Luke's point with the narrative is that Saul and Barnabas are replaceable. So we have five teachers here. Their place is in the church, not over the church. Their provenance is from all over the world. We've already seen that Antioch was a diverse church. We saw that at the end of chapter 11. Now we see it again. Where are these teachers from? Well, Barnabas, he's a Levite from Cyprus. Cyprus is an island not too far from Antioch, but it's not in Antioch by any means either. And then Simeon, called Black, he's from somewhere, probably, where black people live, assuming that he is black in skin, which is likely what the name means. We're not sure. It could also refer to some other thing, his culture, his habits, an unfortunate incident with paint sometime in his past. Luke doesn't tell us. He just says that Simeon had this nickname. He's from far away, probably. Lucius is definitely from far away. Lucius is from Cyrene, which is in today's Libya, a Greek colony far away across the Mediterranean, somewhere south of Spain. So Lucius has come all the way from out there in Africa to be here in Antioch in Syria teaching this church. And then we have uh, Manaen or Manaen, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is the one who heard Christ, who interviewed him as he was on trial, and then cooperated with Pilate in putting him to death. So Manaen is a foster brother or an some kind of important courtier. The word can mean either one. Suntrophos, the Greek word, it just means an eater with. So maybe he ate with Herod as a boy. Maybe he ate with Herod later on in his life. We don't know. But he is somebody from elite circles. And his foster brother murdered Christ. And now here he is teaching Christ. The mystery of election. Somebody who lived with an enemy of God, is now a friend of God, a teacher in the church. And then finally we have Saul, who of course is from Tarsus in Asia Minor. Again, not that far from Antioch, 
but not particularly close either. And we have the Antioch five. Not one of them is from Antioch. But all of them are there by the grace of God as teachers in the church. What does this tell us? Diversity is God's idea. The world goes along in every little bit. The world grabs a good idea from God, a moral idea from God, and blows it completely out of proportion and says, this moral thing is the be-all, end-all of morality. Right now it's diversity. 600 years ago it was honor. We were Italians and you came over for Thanksgiving and said, your mother's turkey is not as good as my mother's turkey. I would say, I'm sorry you insulted my family. Prepare to die. You can pick your weapons. And he would say, you're right I insulted your family, but you're the one who's going to die. And we would go and have a duel. Because in the world's eyes, in Italy in the 15th century, honor was everything. And so, you could fight a duel, you could kill anybody who insulted your family's honor, and the rest of the country would say, that's right, kill that person. He called your dad fat. And that's how it went. So the world got crazed about honor, and the world has also been crazed, of course, about power or equality or freedom or diversity. These various things come along, but all of them... Every moral idea, every good thing, is originally God's idea, including diversity in the church. God called these ministers to the church from all over the Mediterranean world. And then he called some away. So what were they doing? Well, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord. Well, the Antioch 5, their job is to minister to God. That's important. We typically don't think of the job of the church as serving God. We think of it as serving people. Love God, serve people. Or some churches have that above the door on the inside. You are now entering the mission field. Well, yes, we're called to love and serve our neighbor. But our primary calling is to serve God. And that's what these five were doing. Luke doesn't tell us how they serve God. Because in one sense, that's not the point. Any more than he tells us later in the chapter how John Mark served Paul and Barnabas. If you're serving, you do what needs to be done. You don't say, I'm sorry, that's not part of my job. I'll serve, but not like that. So these five in the Antioch church are serving the Lord, ministering to the Lord, and their other job is to go where the Spirit sends them. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Prophets and teachers are there to minister to the Lord and they're there to go where God tells them to go. Again, it's important to recognize this. Prophets and teachers are not primarily servants of the church. They're not primarily there certainly to toot their own horn or to exalt and serve themselves. Prophets and teachers are there to serve God and to do what he says. That's really basic. But we tend to forget that because, you know, if you're a church, you say, well, I don't, God doesn't pay his salary, we do. Therefore, he works for us. Well, 
The Bible says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They were ministering to the Lord. And vice versa is true too. Luke gives us four points about the church. We can say that the fact that the teachers are ministering to the Lord means that the church does not exist to serve the teachers. For every church that has gone awry and said, leaders are here to serve us, there are many more that have gone the other direction and said, church is here to serve the leaders. Our pastor. Oh, heartthrob. Wonderful. We love him. He's great. We've all been to churches like that where people kind of have this fetish of pastor religion and that's what it's all about. And that guy is the be-all, end-all, and if anything happens to him, church shrivels up and blows away because people were there for the pastor. And Luke tells us, no, the church exists to serve the Lord, not its prophets and teachers. Again, this is really basic. We all agree with this in theory. But in practice, we have to understand that the church is not there to exalt the pastor and make him look good. The church is not about focusing all the honor and glory onto one guy. Unless that guy is Jesus Christ. Luke's point is that prophets and teachers are replaceable and expendable. Saul and Barnabas, who no doubt were the superstars on this ministry team, they get sent out. That's it. The Spirit says, let them go. And they go. And that's because the church exists to serve the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? Well, praising Him, worshiping Him, obeying Him, in our vocations, wherever the Lord has called us, that's how we serve the Lord. That's how we minister to the Lord. And that's supposedly why we're here. Not here to impress each other. Oh, did you see so-and-so's new clothes? So-and-so's new shoes? So-and-so's new hair? Not why we're here. Nor are we here to honor and glorify the pastor. That's not what it's about. We're not here to maintain property. Not here primarily to do charitable work in the community. There's nothing wrong with some of those things. But the church exists to serve God by being focused on God, focused on worshiping God, focused on obeying God. And what that means then is that we, though we love each other, We do have to let each other go. When the Spirit calls somebody away, we don't say, hey, that was ours. He was ours. He can't go. We let go and say, Lord, that man, that family, those people that we love, they're yours. Because we're here to serve you. And as much as we love each other, we love God more. We love each other because we love God. So they were ministering to the Lord. Most likely what that means is that they were engaged 
in corporate worship. They were gathered, they were singing songs together, they were listening to God's word together. As they ministered to God in that way, they realized we don't exist to glorify and honor our teachers. This church is not here to build a big statue of Paul in the front yard. We're not going to have the Caleb Nelson Memorial Fellowship Hall. That, that is so not what the church is for. The church exists to serve God. And also, Luke tells us, the church is the place where the Spirit speaks. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Spirit said. The Spirit didn't just come to an individual prophet sometime during the week and give this message for the church. The Spirit didn't nudge Paul to write a letter to the church at Antioch in which the church at Antioch would be told, let Barnabas and Saul go. No, the Spirit came to them in corporate worship. What is Luke saying? You want to hear from the Holy Spirit? Get together with the people of God. Hopefully all of you have read the stories of Paul Bunyan. And you know that Paul Bunyan would send out somebody to listen so that they could hear the loggers returning to the camp. When the loggers started coming back, they would know to start dinner. Well, he would send out one guy to listen, but that guy could only hear up to about five miles. So he would send out a second guy, and two guys together could hear ten miles. And sometimes Paul Bunyan had to put out five or six listeners so they could hear thirty miles away. Well, that's not quite how it works in the physical world. But I think Luke is telling us that that is how it works in the spiritual world. And if one person can hear the Spirit from five miles away, two people can hear the Spirit from ten miles away. All of us gathered together can hear the Spirit much better than any of us can alone. And thus, while the church was gathered, ministering to the Lord, at least these five are ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Spirit says, separate Barnabas and Saul. When the whole church hears it, you can be a lot more sure that the Spirit said it. If I come to you and say, I think the Spirit told me that we should build a building on Highway 50. You all could say, okay, well, he didn't tell us that. But if the Spirit tells everybody something, then it's a lot more clear. So it is here. The Spirit tells them, separate Barnabas and Saul. So the church is where the Spirit speaks. The church hears the Spirit while fasting. Luke tells us about this spiritual discipline. The church abstained from food so that they could take the time used in preparing and eating food and spend that time in prayer. Now, most of us, I think, are in a good habit, which is to pray before meals. But I dare say that everyone here, even the very fast eaters, spends more time eating than they do praying for that particular meal. Fasting is just about reversing that dynamic to where you have a 30-second snack And then you pray for half an hour. That's all fasting is about. I take the time that I would ordinarily devote to food and I devote it to prayer 
instead. And it's when the church does that, that the church hears the Spirit. So again, if you sit there and think, well, boy, I don't know when the last time our church heard from the Spirit is. Maybe we should say to ourselves, well, boy, I don't know when the last time our church had a day of fasting was either. Church can hear the Spirit better when it's not stuffed with food. We know that in theory. Just like we know in theory that the church exists to serve the Lord and not the pastor. But sometimes it's hard to actually want to fast. So how does the church hear the Spirit? We want to know, Luke. Did the Spirit speak with an audible voice? Was it just a nudge inside the mind of everyone there? That's not a question Luke is interested in answering. Luke seems to be saying, you want to hear the Spirit? Go to church, fast and pray. Then you'll hear the Spirit. To which we respond, how? And Luke says, I just said, go to church, fast and pray. And we say, yeah, but that's hard. I want to hear the Spirit the easy way. How do I? Luke won't address the question of how to hear the Spirit beyond saying, gather with the people of God, fast and pray. That's when you hear the Spirit. And when the church hears the Spirit, the church obeys the Spirit. The Spirit says, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work. Set them apart. Some of you probably did this this week. You crack in the egg whites, now set aside the yolks. There for a different step later on. You put in this into the recipe, now set some of the other aside for a different step later on. Well, he says, set aside Barnabas and Saul. They're the ones. You have five pastor, prophet, teachers there. I'm taking two for the work that I've called them to do. And when the church heard that, they didn't say, no, Lord, we're not letting them go. They're too important. They're too good. Why don't you take Lucius or Menaean? Who cares? You can have them. But the Spirit said, no, I want your best. The people you love the most, the people you're gladdest for in the church, yeah, those are the ones. And when we look at Barnabas and Saul and this ministry team, we can certainly say, yeah, Antioch, quit hogging it. This is like having John Calvin and Thomas Aquinas on your theological staff. This is like having Abraham Lincoln and George Washington in the White House. You guys don't need this level of riches. Easy for us to say that. But the Spirit said it too. Send out Barnabas and Saul. You don't need them the way I need them. So the church obeys the Spirit by fasting and by prayer. The church says, I'm taking your top two guys. Or the Spirit says, I'm taking your top two guys. And the church says, okay. We will once again fast. We will once again give ourselves to prayer presumably for the success of the Spirit's project with Barnabas and Saul. And then they lay on their hands. Just like, as we saw, Joshua was commissioned to succeed Moses by the laying on of hands. So here, Paul and Barnabas 
have hands laid on them, and then they let them go. And as I mentioned, the Greek does not say they sent them away. It says they let them go. They unleashed them. The Spirit is taking you out of here. It's with great reluctance that we say, yes, Holy Spirit, you can have these two. That's because the church is not about our comfort. The church is not about our pleasure and ease. We don't gather to minister to our pastor or even ultimately to each other. We're here to minister to Christ and that's why we have to do what He tells us to do. Which is sometimes to let people go. Say we love you. We're so glad you've been here. The Lord is calling you to a new place. Go with our blessing. Not that we're packing you out of here. The Spirit is sending you away. We're letting you go. So don't come to this passage with the wrong questions and say, how do I hear the Spirit? How do I know who's supposed to go and who's supposed to stay? How do I know who's missionary material? Luke isn't interested in answering those questions. He tells us, gather with the church. Listen to the Spirit while fasting and gathering with the church and praying. And when you've heard the Spirit and the Spirit says, I'm taking your best and sending them out to minister elsewhere, say yes. Let those people go. So that's our calling. Our denomination as a whole has a project to urge each congregation to send 1% of its members to the foreign mission field. So for us, what is that? 0.45 people. Maybe we're supposed to send a half-time missionary. But that is a project that comes straight out of this here in the book of Acts. You unleash your best to follow the call of God to go and serve in a different corner of the vineyard in a different sector of the kingdom. And that doesn't mean they don't come back. Saul and Barnabas will come back to Antioch at the end of chapter 14. For a time, they won't live there forever. But it does mean when the church spirit calls the church listens and obeys. When the Spirit says, I'm taking these ones, we say, Lord, they're yours. We're here to serve you. Take your people and use them wherever you want. And if you're calling me away, call me away. If you're calling me to stay and minister here, call me to do that. That's the lesson of this portion. So listen to the Spirit and obey the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the work that Barnabas and Saul had to do. The work that they were set apart for, not by their church, but by the Holy Spirit. Father, we do pray today for our sister church in Cheyenne, as You are calling laborers from this sector of the vineyard to that one. Lord, we ask that You would bless and build up Northwoods. And we pray for harvest too. We ask that you would be glorified here, that you would help us to be a church that recognizes that we exist to serve Jesus Christ. Don't let us be all about our other projects, about our pastor, about any of that stuff. Help us to love and serve and admire your son and to live 
for him and to live in obedience to him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.